Welcome into another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. We're back after another break. We're going to get more consistent with this thing, I promise. My name is Joel Penfield. As always, I'm joined by Alex Duvall. How's it going, man? Joel, I'm doing wonderful. The summer is coming down to a winding end. Fall is just around the corner. Football season is upon us. The Arizona Fall League season is upon us. Playoff baseball around the corner. I could not be more excited, um, but it's good to be back. It's a it's a good time of year to be a sports fan in this country. We got football starting up. College football starts up at the end of the month. We're in the you know the dog days of summer, but we're getting into playoff races for both the minor leagues and the playoffs. It's it's a good time to to like both football and baseball for sure. Oh yeah, I mean this is you know outside of like spring when you have March Madness rolling around with you know spring training. This is probably my second favorite time of year. Playoff baseball, football season getting started up. Um, as a teacher, we all go back to school, you know, so everything getting kind of started again in some aspects. So, um, yeah, man, this is a great time of year. I'm excited. Um, if the Royals are in the playoffs, I'd be more excited, but whatever. We got a couple of uh, Royals affiliates that will be representing their leagues in the playoffs, so uh, we'll keep in touch with playoff baseball that way. For sure, the both the Wilmington Blue Rocks and the Lexington Legends were first half champions of their league, so we do get to cover a little bit of playoff baseball again. That was a lot of fun last year with uh, Lexington winning the Sally, so that was pretty cool. But speaking of the Wilmington Blue Rocks, we are going to talk about a couple pitchers. This is really a pitcher-packed episode. We're going to talk about all the you know the top guys. We talked about pretty much ad nauseum this season of Coar, Singer, Bubich, and we're going to bring up a couple other guys as well, but... Let's start with Chris Bubich. Uh, if you paid attention last night, he threw a complete game, only gave up one run on a sacrifice fly, punched out eight or nine. It was really a, just a dominant start for him, which is pretty much becoming uh, something that he's doing every fifth day for Wilmington. He's been lights out pretty much all season, but it's, he, I feel like he's gotten even better since he's moved to Wilmington. Uh, he's another. He's a guy that at the beginning of the year we knew he was going to be a solid contributor, but I don't. I didn't expect him to break out in the way that he did. And I know we mentioned that in the last episode, but it continues to ring true, and it continues to be something that uh, the Royals fans definitely need to keep an eye on because I think he could legitimately be a, a part of this future in the rotation. Yeah, for sure. And, and you're ta- you talk about the strikeouts from last night. He actually struck out eleven over his oh, nine shit. innings. Okay, and so. And so in, in his brief uh, professional career, that's now one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight starts that he's made um, out of 32 where he has struck out uh, double-digit hitters. So in a quarter of his professional starts, he struck out double digits. Um, last night was the first time he went into the eighth inning, actually. Um, he threw a nine-inning complete game uh, with one run. Uh, but it was the first time he got into the eighth. So it's not like he's, you know – low pitch counting his way into the ninth inning and just racking up strikeouts, you know, by depth and by, by sheer innings. Um, in a lot of his starts, he really doesn't even get out of the six and he's still striking out double digit hitters. Um, he's got a career strikeout percentage now, um, north of 33%, which is obviously for you math magicians at home, that's almost a third of the hitters he faces. Um, so, so really Chris Bubich has been kind of the, antithesis antithesis of what I thought he would be. I kind of thought when the Royals drafted him, he may be closer to like, um, you know, something like a Foster Griffin. And I don't mean Foster Griffin now, but kind of what we thought Foster Griffin was going to be when we drafted him, where he's not, you know, a little bit of a thumbing lefty, 
Um, he's not going to strike a ton of dudes out, keep the ball on the ground. Um, and, and that's not what Chris Bubich has been at all. Um, it would be unfair to call him a power lefty. Um, his fastball last night was consistently 92-93. That's very average. Um, he can reach up and get 95. But he pitches like a power lefty. He pitches he like a guy who throws 96-97 because he gets a lot of strikeouts. He walks a little more than you might think he would for a lefty that was 92. Um, and, and so, you know, he, he's a little bit different than kind of what I expected. Um, he spins his curveball at a really high rate. His changeup is absolutely bonkers. Um, <laughs> if you go to our, yeah, if you go to the Twitter page at Royals Farm, I retweeted myself. It was a, a video of Coars, or I'm sorry, Bubich's changeup last night. It was just freaking filthy. So when you have a lefty like that who has a dominant changeup and can hit 95, you're going to keep a lot of guys honest. Um, Cole Hamels has made a career, basically, of doing exactly what I just described. Um, and I think everybody listening to this podcast and everybody that cheers for the Royals would sign up for a Cole Hamels career from Chris Bubich right now with no hesitation. Oh, no doubt about it. And when you're talking about him being 92-93, I, I would love to see trackman data and rapsodo data on him and see how he spins his fastball. talk about him spinning his curveball really well i'd love to see how he spins his fastball because he kind of gets that straight over the top delivery i bet he gets some solid backspin on that ball and makes it play up to may probably be in a perceived velocity close to that 94 95 range and even when he hits 95 96 you know, it, it plays up really well. And when you're in the Carolina League and you have a good fastball changeup combo, we saw it with Jackson Coar, you pretty much dominate hitters. And you're seeing what he's been able to do in both the Sally and now the Carolina League. I would love to see Chris Bubich end up in uh, in Northwest Arkansas to finish out this season. I don't know if it'll happen with less than a month left in the year, but I would expect him to dominate the Texas League next year and probably be pretty close to Omaha by about halfway through the season, if I had to guess. I think he's that good, and if he continues to develop in the way he has this season, it wouldn't surprise me to see him in AAA by the middle of to the end of next season. For sure. And I think, you know, one thing that makes the Royals different from everybody else is that they're going to. Um, you know, they're going to, they're going to keep their guys together so that they can win those championships at the lower levels. Um, and, and that's kind of what I expect them to do, uh, with Chris Bubich, uh, Daniel Lynch is coming back soon off the IL. Um, Jonathan Bolin is already there. So I kind of expect them to hold those guys together, um, and, and allow Nick Prado and MJ Melendez and the, and that core at Wilmington, to win another championship. And I think as rough as Nick Prado and MJ Melendez have had it this year, um, winning a championship would be a great way for them to go into the off season, um, kind of take their minds off the struggles. And really um, for baseball players, when the team's winning, you really don't notice how you're doing. If you're going good, if you're going bad, it's really kind of hard to notice when you're winning, winning when you're losing, all. winning, cures right? All. Exactly. When you're losing, it stands out more, right? Because if, if you're doing well but the team's losing, it's easy to shake it off. Well, it's not my fault. If the team's losing and you're doing bad, it's easy to put a lot of blame on yourself. But for whatever reason, winning just, you know, it's different as in everybody just kind of forgets how they're doing. So maybe going into the offseason, um, you know, even if it's not the most fair thing in the world, I guess, to Chris Bubich's development, leaving him in Wilmington to win a championship and, and try to get the – morale of the entire team and the offseason going up um i can see that being worth it so 
I totally understand. I think Chris Bubich is ready for double A. He's made 13 starts at high A, and I really would not be surprised at all if he was promoted to double A when Daniel Lynch returns. Um, but I do have a really strong feeling that he'll stay in Wilmington um, through the Carolina League playoffs. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we, you mentioned John Boland there briefly when you were thinking about that Wilmington uh, that Wilmington rotation. He's a guy that we, I think we need to give a little bit of love to on this podcast. He has been nails pretty much all season long, including throwing a no-hitter that would have been a perfect game if it wasn't for an error. He was dominant, only faced one over the minimum. He's another guy that you can add in that was just a very surprising of how good he has been. Same with Chris Bubich. I knew he was going to be a solid guy, college guy, high floor, but I think he's been he's far exceeded expectations this season. Yeah, and a lot of that is coming from his ability to command the strike zone. And yes. he's walking in the Carolina League right now. He's thrown 54 innings. He's walking less than a batter per nine innings, um, which is good for a yeah, which is good for a 2.9 percent walk rate, um, which I haven't bothered to look is second in the Carolina League, believe it or not. So um, his strikeout to walk percentage, his strikeout minus walk percentage is second in the Carolina League. His walk percentage is second in the Carolina League, minimum 50 innings. Um, he's not striking a ton of dudes out. Um, he's striking out more guys than people with a similar walk rate are. Um, but really, he's doing it just by forcing hitters to be better than he is. And right now, I don't think they are. And I don't think they can be, um, which is good. It's good awareness, I think, on Jonathan Boland's part. It's good awareness that I'm better than you. You can't hit this. And so I'm not going to walk you. I'm not going to entertain free passes. So hit it or don't, um, and then you're going to be out. And so I think, you know, that doesn't necessarily translate to the next level all the time because eventually hitters will be better than you, right? At some point, you're going to run into hitters that are better than you, at which point that strategy no longer works. But in terms of, you know, maturity and uh, mental awareness about him and for his development, I would assume that Jonathan Bolin is far above the curve um, on the mental and on the learning side of the development curve. Definitely, and he's another guy to keep an eye on that I think would – if that – if it's any indication of what the Wilmington rotation has been this year in a pretty good pitcher's environment, I can only imagine how good they're going to be moving to the Texas League, knowing how to win, knowing how to pitch, and be able to command the zone. All these guys, Heasley is another guy that strikes out a ton, but he's in Lexington. I would imagine we see him in double eight sometime next year if he can continue to command the zone the way he has. If you can pound the zone, most good things are going to happen. We saw that for Bolin throwing the no-hitter. Bubich really kind of exploding onto the scene, obviously getting to the Futures game as well to represent the Royals. So it's been a good year in the low minors, especially for pitching. Really pitching across the board up to AAA, up until AAA has been really, really solid. Yeah, and along the way you have guys that are already in the Texas League like Jackson Kowar and the like Brady Singer. And Jackson Kowar has been, you know, absolutely um, filthy for his last couple of starts in the Texas league. He got, he got off to a great start and then he hit a little bit of a road road bump, um, you know, there in the middle of his stint, but over his, excuse me, over his last few starts, he's been very, very, very good. Um, Let's see in the last, hold on, this doesn't have, Oh, I'm sorry. This doesn't have the updated game from last night. So including last night, he's gone, 13 innings, giving up a few runs, but he struck out 
11, if I remember correctly. Again, I'm not looking at his stats from last night. I just have the last start up. But um, his changeup is playing like a true 70-grade offering. I mean, um, I, I say on Twitter all the time that my kind of mini comp for him is like a Chris Paddock light. Uh, Chris Paddock didn't walk nearly as many hitters in the minor leagues as Jackson Coar has. Um, and so maybe that command is a bit of a separator for them. Um, but Jackson Coar's changeup and his ability to hit 99 on our radar gun with the fastball um, are absolutely a lethal combo. And his curveball last night was really, really good. He was throwing it early and often to the Tulsa Drillers team. Um, we had a guy, Drew Osborne, for our site was there, and he's he was raving about the curveball. Um, I was watching the game online before it got rained out. So the development of Kowar's curveball, I think, cannot be understated. If he develops that curveball into a solid third offering, um, he's going to be a front-of-the-line starter. I think he's, you know, borderline the best prospect in this system, and um, I've been I've been harping that for a while. So it's good to see him succeeding. Um, I would assume that he and Brady Singer will just start the year next year at AAA Omaha. And then you're looking at 10 starts, you get into June, and who knows? So we could be looking at an early early arrival uh, for Coar and Singer starting in 2020. I have been on the Jackson Coar train with you pretty much since the middle of last season. Once he got up to Lexington and started shoving, once we saw that changeup on MILB TV, it was, it's gross. Like, I... I I've been so excited to watch him pitch. Once he got to Double A and got to the Texas League, I live in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I'm an hour from Tulsa. I was so excited to be able to see Kowar pitch at some point during this season. I finally got that opportunity. I didn't go to scout. I wanted to go as a fan because I just wanted to watch him pitch and not have to focus on too much else. My wife actually came with me uh, to the game. We sat there and watched him pitch, and it was dominant. He went eight shutout innings, struck out six, made some great adjustments early on in the game. The drillers were kind of, they were starting to barrel up that fastball a little They were trying to get to the fastball before the changeup, which makes a ton of sense. They were barreling up the fastball. After that second inning, he was missing bats consistently, missing barrels consistently, being able to throw that changeup, but not only throwing the changeup, but throwing the curveball for strikes early in the count. It was somewhat of a show-me pitch, but the fact that he was confident to throw it 0-0-0-1 tells me that he's starting to find the feel for it. And if he can turn that thing into an average offering and just pretty much work fastball change but keep hitters honest with the curveball, he's going to be a legit ceiling for sure mid-rotation. I think he at least... I think he can be a top-of-the-rotation guy for sure with how good the fastball and the changeup are, like you said, like a Chris Paddock type. Um, that changeup is gross. In person, it just falls off the table. He tunnels it extremely well with the fastball, and it just dives at the last minute. And with the fastball sitting there in that 95 to 97 range like it was the night that I was there, um, that curb, that fastball – or the sorry, the changeup comes in at like 85 to 86. And, and with the arm speed – and the spin that he gets on it, it's lethal. And if he can command that curveball just enough to make hitters keep hitters honest, it, he's going to be something special for sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and along the lines of that Chris Paddock mini comp we keep coming up with, um, and again, Chris Paddock right now has been one of the better pitchers in Major League Baseball this year. I say better. He's been a very, very good 23-year-old pitcher in, the, in Major League Baseball. Um, so even if Jackson Coar is 90% of Chris Paddock, you, you would you would sign up for that. Um, but I think he, and my personal opinion is that he can be as good. I just, if you are skeptical, 
even 90% would be a great get. No doubt. Um, Jackson Coar right now is the same age as Chris Paddock was at AA in the Texas League last year. Um, Chris Paddock struck out 8.8 batters per nine innings last year. Jackson Coar is currently striking out 9.8, and that's before he gets six strikeouts or five strikeouts, whatever it was, in five innings last night. So, um, you know, the stuff, it's a little bit different. It doesn't necessarily play um, exactly the same as Chris Paddock. I don't know what Chris Paddock's spin rate is like on his fastball. I know Jackson Coar's spin rate is very average, which is fine. You know, it's not a that's not a huge deal either way. Um, my only point to that is if if J- Chris Paddock is, has elite spin rates, then you know that's that's a little bit of a separator. But anyway, you know, I really really am excited about Jackson Coar. I love the start he's gotten off to in the Texas League, um, and, and I, I'm just I'm just pumped for the Royals to have gotten an arm like that. Um, with the 33rd pick in last year's draft. Yeah, no doubt. And I think the I think just this whole year, and I think everything we've talked about is a testament to the Royals developing their pitching staff extremely well this season and getting better in that that regard. And it was a uh, farm system that two years ago was really lacking in not only depth but just development of pitching. And now here we are two years later and with some of the best arms in all of the minor leagues, all in the same staff, all developing at the same time, and all coming in a, a wave within one or two years, they're going to be filling up the rotation in the bullpen in Kansas City, and I think that bodes well for the future. For sure, and, and I think that's one thing, and, and as we kind of slide into Brady Singer's um, you know, part of this is when when Brady Singer was drafted, the reason he failed 18 was some people didn't like the arm slot, they didn't like the breaking ball, and so um, Brady Singer was not a first-round pick who I think like a Casey Mize was expected to just roll all the way to the big leagues, and then once Casey Mize gets to the big leagues, we'll see what kind of adjustments he needs to make. Uh, Brady Singer has had and has adjustments to make and has made um, that he's are going to be necessary for him to reach the big leagues. And so I think there were some people, self-included, that were worried about what the Royals would do to Brady Singer while he was in the minor leagues. Would they mess him up? You know, when he was trying to make these adjustments, would it be um, not beneficial to Brady Singer? And I think Daniel Lynch was that way a little bit too, where, you know, he, he kind of told the pitching staff at the University of Virginia that he was going to do what he wanted to do and not the – infamous Cavalier Crouch, which is a whole another 30-minute segment we're not going to get into. Um, but anyway, I think there's this fear that the Royals would mess it up, right? Um, and it does not that is, does not appear to be the case at all. Um, Brady Singer, I was out at one of his starts in Springfield, and he was throwing his weighted balls in the bullpen uh, before his start, and you could tell he was working on shortening up his arm action a little bit um, to increase the arm speed to, to help him throw a sharper breaking ball. Um and I think it's translated. If you look at film from Brady Singer at Florida and compare it with him in the minor leagues this year, his arm stroke looks different. It looks more powerful. It looks shorter. It looks more concise. Um, and I think that bodes well for not only his health moving forward, but his performance as well. Um, and he got off to a little bit of a rocky start at Double A. He has really corrected that lately. Um, and I think he's a guy that we've talked about this internally in the group chat and stuff, but it's going to take him a minute to adjust at every level. I think every level he gets to, it's, he's going to get off to a rocky start. Um, but once he figures it out, he's going to cruise, kind of like he's done lately at Double A. So, um, 
really excited about Brady Singer. Um, really excited about Daniel Lynch, Jackson Coar, all those guys they got last year. Um, they have been absolutely dominant, and we actually got to interview uh, Royals assistant general manager JJ Piccolo recently. Um, we'll have that interview out uh, to the public, hopefully in the near future. But um, so you know, get his thoughts on that 2018 pitching class. So um, they've got some dudes that are coming out of there, and, and it's really starting to pay off for the Royals um, on the farm. Yeah, no doubt about it. So we talked about obviously these guys in lower minors, but there are guys in AAA that I think we had higher expectations for going into this season. The guys like Arnaldo Hernandez and uh, Scott Blewett, who just haven't quite figured it out at AAA. Uh, this could be varying things. Uh, one of them, namely, just being the balls different and the in the pitching environment in the Pacific Coast League is just brutal to begin with. But I feel like there's more to it than that. I just don't know if these guys are major league pitchers and that, that might be uh you know maybe a common thought but you know I watched Ronaldo Hernandez pitch uh earlier this season it was in April so it was really early on in the season right around the end of the month and I was sitting next to a guy that scouts uh the Royals and he was talking to me about uh, and I was just trying to pick his brain and learn a little bit but when he was talking about Ronaldo Hernandez he said he's a guy that is too fascinated with making every pitch move and has forgotten that he can throw the ball 97, 98 miles an hour. And when I saw him, it was 93 to 94. And that difference is a lot. And 97, 98 plays obviously way better, even if the ball's moving all over the place. So that's a little bit concerning to me. But, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Like I, I, like I said, I, neither guy has had good years in AAA. There's a couple different factors to it. But what, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, so Hernandez is is really young, and so here he's a weird case, and and here's how. So in 2017, he starts the year in Lexington, and he was really good. 2017, he had been 21 years old, so he's a little bit, a little bit older than the age curve there, but not significantly. Um, 3.6 ERA looks good. Nine strikeouts per nine, great. One walk per nine, great. And he was phenomenal in Lexington that year. The Royals were so happy with his progress and the fact that he was throwing really hard all of a sudden they sent him to triple a at the end of the year just to fill in the rotation right this was not a promotion this was just we have a need and instead of taking a guy from double a or even high a they went down to lexington to get arnaldo hernandez and said here you go kid have fun and he did really well his era in two starts 10 innings was 1.74 that's great um it got me really excited about him going into 2018 because the royals would not have done that if they didn't like the kid, right? right? They clearly thought highly of him, like they do Sebastian Rivero, right? Somebody gets hurt, they went down and got Rivero and moved him up so that he could catch the higher levels. Um, you know, they clearly thought highly of the kid. He was throwing harder. I loved it. 2018, he goes to Wilmington, and he does really well. Um, makes 12 starts in Wilmington, 64 innings, on his way to A makes three starts in double A and they said, good enough. You're going straight to Omaha where he made nine starts to end the year. His strikeouts were down. Um, but again, from about a 20 year, 22 year old kid who just got slingshotted from a ball to triple a, um, his walks were down, strikeouts were down. That's fine. His ERA was 3.55. Great. He's throwing 97. Like you said, and coming into the season, I had Arnaldo Hernandez in my top, I think 15 prospects on my personal list. I was really excited about him. Uh, he has sucked at AAA this year. And he's been downright awful. His ERA is 7.7, which is 
honestly, it's just a hair over the league average there. So maybe it's not as bad as I'd like to think, but he, they sent him back to double A. Um, his strikeouts came up a little bit. So did the walks. He's back in triple A now. He's not been good. Um, Scott Blewett is a different story, but Scott Blewett has never been a good pitcher in the minor leagues to speak of. Um, in fact, he's always been very mediocre, very underperforming. Um, but again, he's a 23-year-old kid. He was 22 last year. Went out to the Arizona Fall League and shoved. He was really, really good in the Arizona Fall League. Coming into the year, I thought, okay, maybe he's turned a corner. Maybe he's figured something out. And Scott blew it to me, and, and don't freak out when I say this, reminds me a lot of Aaron Sanchez that the Astros just traded for in that Aaron Sanchez in Toronto was sinker, 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 right? Change up, change up, change up, change up. Houston trades for him, says throw more four seams, less sinkers, more curveballs, less change ups. He does. He throws six no hit innings. It's like, oh. So clearly there was something in that sinker that wasn't working. That feels very Scott Blewett ish, right? He throws his two seam, he throws a heavy sinker, and, and it's just like, man, it ain't working. Like something is off. You just got sent back to double A. Maybe it's time to scrap the sinker. Maybe it's time to throw a four seam or even a cutter, maybe a slider instead of a curveball. But it's never worked for him. He's been in the system since 2014. He has never had an ERA under four. Um, he's never had strikeouts per nine that were, you know, over nine and where he got over 30 innings. So, I mean, his best year was in Le- a second go round at Lexington in 2016. So, uh, I just, I don't know. I've we've seen it from both of them. We've seen the flashes of holy crap that looked good, um, and we've also seen them get absolutely shellacked. So I, I don't know what to tell you there. Is it the ball? Is it the hitting environment? Are these guys just not very good? Um, hopefully we'll get some answers pretty soon. But man, it, I was really disappointed with the year Blue and Hernandez had, and, and maybe that's my fault for having too lofty of expectations coming into 2019. I don't think you're necessarily wrong there. I had pretty, I felt pretty good about where Blue it was after the Arizona Fall League. The same with Ronaldo Hernandez. I think, I think a decent factor of it could be the run scoring environment that we're seeing in AAA right now. It's insane. Um, I go to Oklahoma City every once in a while and scout the PCL, and the ball just flies. The ball flies in that stadium anyways, but it's just worse now. Routine pop-ups flying out of the stadium. I watched Nicky Lopez hit a ball off the end of the bat halfway up the stands in left, in left field. So, you know, balls like that fly out. So there's only so much that, you know, you can do as a pitcher sometimes with just the way that it's going on. And when you're developing like that, it can be kind of tough. So I think there's a few things at work here, but I – with – the wave that's coming to AAA next year with conceivably Coar Singer and AAA, and then you'll probably have Lynch and Bubich and Boland in AA. Guys like Ronaldo Hernandez and Scott Blewett, if they don't pick up their game, they're going to get left behind. And they're going to be org guys here in a year or two if they can't adjust, you know, because the more talented guys are coming and they're going to get to the big leagues before guys that have been in the system for four or five years now. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, I think part of drafting that 2018 pitching class was to give the rest of the prospects in the system a wake up call. I mean, imagine being a guy like Scott Blewett in the system and then thinking, man, I just had a really good 2018. And they go out and do that. And you're like, whoa, okay. So they obviously did not think I had a very good 2018 um, in some aspects of 
that draft. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's a, we said we take questions on Twitter and, and this is kind of one that goes along with it. Um, guy named Todd wants to know if the prospects that are in double A and high A right now will go to Omaha or will they just go straight to the big league club? And, and right now that's a fair question. Um, yeah. that's a really fair question. Do you want Brady Singer and Jackson Kowar to deal with the PCL? Because it has been absolutely ludicrous, um, there right now. And, and I think there's a fair question to ask too is, is it beneficial? Is it beneficial to send your guys to the PCL to get absolutely dinked and dunked around? Um, or is it better to just bring Jackson Coar straight to the big leagues this year? Um, we saw the Padres with Chris Paddock, speaking of Jackson Coar, bring him straight out of double A um, to pitch in the big leagues this year. Um, I don't think that's unreasonable. I, I think if Jackson Coar finishes the year strong, maybe he even makes a triple A start this year. Um, and then he goes into spring training next year. He's throwing 98. He's throwing nasty change-ups. His curveball looks really good. And you have a hole in your rotation, plug him in. You know, let him go. Let's let's just see what happens. Um, because he's not, I mean, I guess you could argue a good hitting environment's a great place to learn. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's worth it anymore because the PCL has become a joke, really, um, in terms of offense. Yeah, and I mean, I think another good example of talking about, you know, skipping out on AAA almost entirely is what the Dodgers just did with Dustin May. He started three or four games, I think, maybe in AAA when I thought maybe he was going to end of the year there. And by after a pretty solid start against Round Rock, he's in the majors, and now you see what he's doing. He, he's a pretty damn talented pitcher, so they didn't let him waste away and get shellacked in the PCL for no reason. They're letting him go and pitch in the major leagues, and he's effective, and he's going to be a part of the playoff race. So th- and this is something I, I just thought of when we were talking about the possibility of getting a Coar singer in the big leagues this year. The Royals still have what after all the trades, like three or four open forty man spots. Um, yeah, I don't know that number off the top of my head, but I can look real quick. I'm pretty sure that they're they're forty man's at like thirty six. Well, they add, they just added Nick Denny. Was he already on the forty man, or did they? No, he, he was. They selected his contract. Okay, correct. I feel like they still have a couple open spots, and I feel like it's they have three. They have three open spots in the. Okay, so they have thirty. So they have thirty-seven. Do you think they could be saving those spots for a Coar come September? I I'm just speculating. I honestly know nothing, but with the point that you brought up and the question about just getting guys to the major leagues, do you think it's out of the realm of possibility? Because the more I'm thinking about it, I don't think it is. No, I don't think so at all. And I think the reason it makes some sense is that it won't count against his service time. Like, it won't hurt him. Um, and, and so here's the problem with that, I think, is the Royals really do kind of have a, a 40-man roster crunch in terms of what they're going to do um, with the Rule 5 draft next year. Yeah, um, they've, they've got some guys that absolutely have to be protected. Um, and so I'm looking right now, let's see, in 2018 – Jackson Coar through 138 innings. He is currently at 121. Let's say he makes three more starts. That's 139 innings again. Um, ish. Yeah, no, I can totally see him making a splash. He and Brady Singer both making a splash um, in the big leagues in September. Um, I don't think that'd be crazy at all. I, I think part of the problem with that is, again, I don't know – you know what? No, 
screw it. Yeah, I totally do think that's a totally total possibility because the pitching staff has been so bad yeah. in the big leagues that they might they could call up Jackson Coar and Brady Singer, totally skip AAA, and just say, you know what, kids, have fun. Here's two stars each. Um, go get you some and, and just see what happens. I think that would impede on the on the Rule Five draft a little bit. Um, ironically, another one of the questions we got on Twitter was something about Nick Heath, and Nick Heath is up for the Rule 5 draft. I know that off the top of my head. I'm going to go ahead and look. I've got it pulled up right here. Here's a list of guys that have to be protected this year, or the Royals could lose them. It's a long list. Gabriel Cancel, Blake Perkins, Nick Heath, Emmanuel Rivera, Rudy Martin, Samir Duenez, who just got cut, um, Xavier Fernandez, DJ Burt, Ofredi Gomez, Grant Gavin, Jose Marquez, Junior Marte, Jackson Flores, Kurt, Court Peterson, Garrison Garabito, Eric Mejia, Elier Hernandez, Walker Scheller, Foster Griffin, Carlos Hernandez, Gabe Spire, Chase Vallow, Sully Matias, Jason Guzman, Sebastian Revere, Andre Sodier, and Jance Valera. I think there's a really good chance that you get, let's see, Nick Heath gets protected. For sure. Can't sell. Can't, I, I don't think can't sell Will. I think he'd get eaten. Up. I think he'd be back in June. Um, so I, I, I really don't think that happens. He's, he's struck out too much. He's got no defensive versatility in terms of, you know, he, he he's played shortstop for um, his teams in the past. I don't think that's a real place, a real option for him. Um, but, but it's absolutely something that could happen. So you have Cancel, Heath, Grant Gavin, Junior Marte, maybe Ofredi Gomez, Carlos Hernandez, Gabe Spire. I mean, you have seven dudes who legitimately could be taken in the, in the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, and like we said, we have three open spots. Um, is there anybody we don't think is going to be around? I could see Kevin McCarthy getting the boot after this year. I see Glenn Sparkman getting the boot. Tim Hill maybe. Um, let's see Just the, the bullpen Spoiler. in general. Almost. Yeah, Billy Hamilton be gone. Nick Denny maybe gone. Jacob Barnes could get cut. Eric Connor. I mean, there's just all kinds of dudes that could get cut. So. The Royals have some choices to make, and because they don't have to protect Jackson Kowar and Brady Singer, getting back to the point of the whole thing, um, I don't think they, you know, will bring them up to the big leagues. But I could absolutely see why they would do it. So long answer or short answer made very long. Yeah, and I think if nothing else, I mean, this season sucks. Like it just does. Just like last season, it's it's, it's rough. But I think it would at least give the fan base some sort of excitement in September. I feel like you you would see a decent crowd for Jackson Kowar's first start. I think you'd see a decent crowd for Brady Singer's first start. Now, do I think the Royals would do it just to get fans in stance? Probably not. But I don't think it's that far to the realm of possibility that maybe you, you just need a little bit of excitement going into next year. Just a little bit of buzz around the team to get people interested and continue to be interested in the Royals in the middle of a rebuild when you're losing a hundred games a season. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't put it past the Royals at all to do that for a couple starts. Um, I'm just seeing right now, the Royals just options Kyle Zimmer back to triple a, and they brought up Eric Skogland. Um, so if Eric Skogland is going to be here, that probably doesn't bode well for Coar and singer because yeah. he will, he will probably start. Um, and, and that may not be as much Zimmer's fault as it is. The Royals just burned through their entire bullpen yesterday. So, yeah. um, but anyway, so it, it's a little bit. Um, that's an interesting point, and the PCL as being as big of a joke as it is is going to make things interesting. But 
anyways. So Alex and I have talked a lot about hitter or the pitchers in this episode, and we will have more in uh, discussion about hitters next week. Um, so Alex, what final thoughts do you have uh, going into next week? My final thoughts for final thoughts for this week have a lot to do with the Rule Five draft coming up this off season. Uh, the rumor is there is heavy steam towards a 26 man roster in the big leagues next year, which could really, um, I guess, convince teams to take bigger chances on Rule Five guys um, having the extra spot available. Uh, you could see guys like Grant Gavin with you know a high RPM fastball and a good curveball. Uh, Junior Marte, who's pitching in Omaha, Gabe Spire, who's in Omaha, Carlos Hernandez, who's never pitched in high A, but is you know a big guy, throws 100 miles an hour. Um, guys who may not have been taken in the past, you know, could be taken this year because of that extra man on the roster. So um, it'll be interesting to see the way the Rule Five plays out this year. I don't think when they expanded rosters, they cared about the Rule Five draft, um, but that could make the Rule Five this December a really, really interesting play. Uh, for a lot of big league teams. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully the Royals protect some of those guys. Like I would love to see Grant Gavin in the, uh, the bullpen next season. Same with a guy like Junior Marte, even Carlos Hernandez, for that matter. you got a guy throwing 100 miles an hour out of the bullpen. That's fun to watch no matter how bad the team is. So that'll be nothing else. And, I mean, with the way the bullpen has been this year, it can really go up. All You can only go up from where it is right now. So any of those guys would be very interesting to see, not only in the Rule 5, but if the roster does expand to 26. My final thought is I need to see Brett Phillips in the major leagues like I need oxygen. Like he has been lighting it up in AAA the last month, month and a half, even a little bit longer since he says the Roy- the Roy- said the Royals have really fixed his swing. He's found the holes in his swing. He's been able to adjust a lot better to AAA pitching and just pitching in general since he has in his entire career in professional baseball. And I really just want to see if nothing else – a Alex Gordon, Bubba Starling, Brett Phillips outfield in Kansas City. That's elite level defense all the way across the outfield. Nothing's going to drop there if it, you know, is a, a fly ball that's catchable for sure. And he's a he's an easy guy to root for. He's a lovable guy. He's awesome. You know, seems to be have a great clubhouse presence. And I think he's a guy that we need to see in Kansas City, if nothing else, just because he's a fun dude. Yeah, for sure. I think it would add some personality to the team. You know, add a little. You know, a little extra element there for fans to get into, um, as well as the defense. You know, the pitching staff in Kansas City has really struggled. So any kind of extra defense we can get out there and um, even potentially get Whit Merrifield back on the infield. Um, I know that's a, a bit of a problem right now with Nicky Lopez. But, uh, you know, I think that's a, I, I think that's a bonus that, you know, could be hidden in there somewhere. Definitely. Well, like I mentioned uh, at the beginning of this uh, little section here, we will talk about more of the hitters next week as after a pitching heavy pitching heavy episode in this one. And Alex, where can everyone follow you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Duvy D U V Y underscore zero one three. Follow me at J T Penfield. Be sure to follow the main site at Royals Farm and RoyalsFarmReport.com. Uh, obviously we see, you see live tweeting during the games for the games down on the farm, but be sure to check minor league minutes and the morning, uh, roundup, uh, shit. What's it called? I'll edit this out. The, roll call. Uh, roll call. Be sure to check out the minor league minutes and the morning roll call every day to find out who's pitching and what went down on the farm the previous night, as well as sporadic articles that will go out throughout the week. And we will talk to everyone on the next episode.